Welcome to Gin and Topic. Woo! We are here for another series. Yep, another one. Just keeps happening. Just keeps going. It does. And so we got loads of gins. Oh yeah, tons of gin. Tons of gin. Tons of experts. Yeah. Tons of topics. Well, and that's the thing, you see. Give us a gin. Talk to anyone. We will. Mm. We will talk to anyone about anything. So yeah, we're going to talk to a ton of people about loads of stuff over gin. And I'm going to make rude comments while we do it to stay on brand. (laughs) And you never know, we might actually learn some stuff. We might even remember stuff. (laughs) Oh, that's not going to happen anytime soon. So we are talking to David Lake. Mm -hmm. And David Lake is now... He's given me this introduction. Okay, that's always a good start. I'm going to read it to you. Yep. And we're going to see your response. Okay. Yay. So he is a part-time PhD student at the University of Surrey's 5G and 6G Innovation Centre studying future networking. Okay, no idea what future networking is. Didn't realise it went up to 6G. No idea what they actually mean. No, because we haven't even got to 5G yet, have we? Are we still 4G? I'm 4G. People have, I don't, but people do Some people do have 5G. And of course, 5G spreads coronavirus, which we're going to ask him about that. I feel like that's bollocks, but okay. It is bollocks. It is complete bollocks. So he's part-time. Yeah. And the other part of his time, he is an engineering technologist in the office of the Chief Technology Officer with Dell Technologies. I feel like I'm saying technology too many times. a lot of technology. With responsibility, medium-term strategy, future networking and representation of the company at global standards bodies such as the Internet Engineering Task Force, I-E-T-F. Dell make laptops, I can tell you that much. Yeah. That's it. I have no idea what I just said. No. Um, I love the fact there's an, an internet engineering task force. I yeah. don't think they're going to be quite as exciting as the Avengers, but I'm imagining that they're on a level. I love that you were the first person to make <laughs> the media. <laughs> it wasn't me this time. Um, and prior to Dell, he spent 20 years at Cisco Systems in a similar capacity. I don't understand what the capacity is, but okay, sure. Sure. No, I have no idea. Um, but we also have to add that couple of caveats on his background. It is a condition of his employment that any time he gives an interview or talk, he must mention that he is purely talking in a personal capacity. Everything he says is in a personal capacity. Absolutely. He is As not talking is on behalf of the companies. Well, very nice. He does also say that he could present a company-built PowerPoint, but that would make for really boring podcasting. I don't want that. No. I do want gin, though. We are definitely going to have gin. So let's let 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 David in in. and we can talk to him about how much we know about 5G, 6G. Absolutely nothing. Nothing at all. Right, important things. We are desperate for oh, gin. I'm gasping. Have you tried this one? No. Never. No, no. You need to try so, it. Okay. You need to try it. We have got yes. Slake. Um, Sussex yeah. Dry. Yeah. And tell us why. Why have we why are we drinking Slake? Oh, well, it's local. It's local. So it's from Shoreham by Sea, which is 20 minutes down the road. So I'm near Gatwick, um, about 20 minutes down the road. This is a, a very, very small distillery that started, oh, goodness me, six, seven years ago. Um, and it's different. It's got a real lemony flavour to it. It's quite dry. Um, but it, you can definitely get that that taste of, of lemon in there. Um, they've actually gone over, would you believe, as most distilleries have, to making hand sanitizer. So you can yeah. <laughs> get a Sussex Slake hand sanitizer, which sounds fantastic. Just do a little joint package. But don't mix it with tonic, whatever you do. Just don't no. mix it with tonic. That would not end well. Um, but, yeah, this is stuff that's grown by the south, on the South Downs. You can, I think you can taste the sea in this, which, mm, given that it's near nice. Brighton, is that a good thing? I don't know. I, I think it could be a good thing. I think thing. that's yeah. a good thing. Um, it might be a bit strong, this that's one. That's fine. I'm, I'm in the mood oh, for no, a strong this, gin. This is strong. This is strong. But it is, okay. it's really lemony. Here we go. Cheers. Cheers. Oh. It's good, isn't it? Oh, that is lovely. It is. I'm at peace. 
I'm happy. It's not. It's not as dry. No. As a London. No, it's not dry. No. Oh, that's no. delicious. If someone told you that that was a kid's soft drink, you'd probably believe it oh. until you see all the children falling over. But maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> that's really nice. That and we really we nice. put a bit of rosemary in ours today. I think it's got a bit of an aniseedy taste, but that might be because we put rosemary. Well, it's, in. Yeah. it's strange. It's got fennel added to it, mm. so maybe the go. fennel and lemon yeah. balm. But there's no citrus in it. It's it's just made with what grows. Cause, you know, unfortunately, we don't have citrus groves growing by the um, in the middle of Brighton. Um, not, yet. not yet. Climate yeah, change, give it, I mean, give it you 50, can. Give it 50 years with this weather and we're going to get grapefruit. But it's, it is, has got that lemony flavour from the lemon balm that they add in. And it is really, really nice. And I just it is really good. good. I've had quite a few tastes of it. Yeah, it's going down a little bit <laughs> It is lovely. We're going, to have, we're going to have a few of these. I'm just trying to find a straw for my bottle at the moment. Mm. Mm. You could. It's delicious. It's it. It's got everything that you want from a gin without that kind of immediate falling down effect. Um, yes, <laughs> and it it is really really nice. I think you could drink it neat as well. It's got quite a full body taste mm. to it that mm. would be quite a nice one, neat. And it's not overly lemony. It's the perfect level of lemon. Yeah, it doesn't leave you too dry. Yeah. No, it's refreshing. But mm, um, I think could. So in the world of standards, we talk about coulds and shoulds. Um, so I think you want to think about could or should on that one as well. <laughs> could yeah, and potentially sometimes should. Sometime should. should. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Right. Well, we have got our gin and we've bought out more ice so good. we can have another one. Excellent. Yes. Many, many good. more. We've talked about who you are and we've done the little disclaimer <laughs> as the fact that you are talking purely by yourself, by, you know, your own personal capacity, nothing to do with anything else. I'm talking in the personal situation. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but what was really interesting is I read your introduction as to who you are and I didn't understand most of it. Um, <laughs> no, I, I do know, I know of Dell. Yes. I know, as I, I said. somebody that used to work in Cisco. So there you go. There you go. So okay. that's a start. That's. I didn't even know that 6G was a thing. I'm not oh, entirely sure what the difference between absolutely. the Gs is. I think it's just, <laughs> yeah, just faster. <laughs> faster, um, I think. 5G, of course, is spreading coronavirus absolutely. around the world. Yes. That's what I know of 5G, totally. Bill Gates is going to pop out through your mouth at a moment's notice. Yeah, Do you know? Yeah, it's my fear every day. Yeah. Every I, day. I got microchipped, so, you know, I'm ready. Um, I'm always excited living in the country when I get 3G. Um, <laughs> so I don't know yeah. whether 6G would ever benefit me at all. And I have decided that the Internet Engineering Task Force is... a. a Part of Marvel and similar to you know Avengers. similar yeah. yeah you're probably probably not too far out from that but never mind because there That's is a exciting. there is a lot of history here around some really weird and wacky um, happenings that that generated the internet and I just don't think many people aren't aware of of how we got to the internet in the first place and why it even is a thing I have no idea. My knowledge of the internet comes from the IT crowd when he says to Jen that that's the internet, the little black box, and he's like, Jen, you broke the internet. And I didn't get why that was so funny when I was a kid because I was like, oh, the internet isn't actually like stored in a little box. Well, here you go. Okay, so because our topic is the internet. The internet. And I know it is a thing. Yep. Um, And we're going to talk about where did it come from and where could it be going? Oh, it could be going like into um, people's brains and you could be stored in the internet forever. Well, that was in your vaccine, yeah, I should think yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and, okay, so... So I, as you can tell, we don't have any well, knowledge. I think I need more tea at this. I know a little bit about the past of the internet because I started listening to um, the Dark Web, the podcast series thing that was on Audible, Mm. which was really interesting and talking about the fact that, and we're going to find out more from you, David, but something about the internet being started or being funded really by, 
US military. Absolutely, yes. Oh, I didn't know that. And so the US military are then funding all of the arms dealing and drug dealing that goes on on the dark <laughs> web because they're funding all of that. That That's... might be pushing it just a little bit too far, but um, you, you're, you're not far away from that because certainly until 1992, the, the, the body that controls the internet was US military government funded and directed. So right up until that point, it was uh, it was it was a project of the Department of Defense, the U.S. Department of Defense, um, and really you you need to go back to about 1957 wow. when the Russians put Sputnik up. Oh, I know about Sputnik. <laughs> <laughs> right, and and what happened was the U.S. at that point sat back and said, "What just happened?" <laughs> because what happened was the start of the space race mm -hmm. um, and the Russians were ahead. So at that point, the Department of Defense started looking at this and saying, what, what are we going to do? We, we cannot let this happen because this fundamentally questions the idea of, of US dominance of technology, US dominance of thought. Mm -hmm. um, so what they did was they created this group in 1958 called ARPA, the Advanced Research Projects Agency. Now, that was created by the US Department of Defense. It's, 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 um, it's been called ARPA, it's been called DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Project. It's changed names so many times, it's, it's really annoying. Um, but there were two bodies that were created in 1958. So this, this group called ARPA, which is a bunch of research scientists and, and military. And there's another one called NASA, which you may have heard of. I have heard of NASA. Um, you Thank have you heard very of NASA. much. So. Yeah. <laughs> Clever so, heard of it. Got the t-shirt. <laughs> I don't have a t-shirt. No. Or your your sister does, and yes. your brother used to have one too. Yeah. Because you can buy them everywhere now. They're just common. As God, well. NASA, so common, <laughs> yeah. honestly. Oh. So it's it's really interesting that from this this one event, which was Sputnik going up and communications being fundamentally changed um, across uh, you know internationally, the U.S. government suddenly decides to fund these two groups that are looking at going into space and the technology that you need for military dominance and space dominance. And at the same time, what you've also got happening is the start of the Cold War. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the US has deployed nuclear warheads all around the world. And the one thing that they're really, really worried about is that they lose control of these sites. So, you know, if, if things happen and they need to press the big red button, then the one thing that you need to do, you need to make sure of is that when you press that red button, the bombs actually, the missiles actually fly. Okay. Um, and you've got to think back to 1958. So we're back in the times when the telecoms companies, the telephone companies were essentially state controlled. Um, now, I've got some Russian family um, who fled from Russia in 1927 and ended up living in Israel. And I remember the days when I was young at Christmas and New Year when we used to have to book a phone call, an international <laughs> phone call. Yeah. in advance. Yeah. So we used to phone my great-grandmother on, on New Year, and you had to book that phone call three or four days in, in advance. And that was controlled by, at that point, um, the GPO, which, yes, yeah. I am that old, which became British Telecom. Yeah, sorry. Um, but that was the kind of control that you had. So you had this network, communications network, totally under control of very slow, um, quite old-fashioned telecoms mm. companies. Mm. And what the Department of Defense was worried about, that if you ended up, you know, the Russians would fire a missile and they'd hit a telephone exchange. Mm. They hit a telephone exchange, you would possibly lose the ability to fire the missiles back. So what they wanted to do was create a network that allowed various bits of it to be broken, that, that didn't require telecoms companies to operate, that would be standalone and could be distributed across the world. So they put a huge amount of money into both NASA and ARPA. Um, and that's really where some of these ideas for the internet came from. Now, what's really interesting is that if you think of NASA, NASA is a very much a military style of organization. It's top down, a hierarchical system, very, very controlling. ARPA wasn't. So ARPA was handed over to a bunch of West Coast predominantly in UCLA and MIT, uh, MIT being East Coast, um, scientists 
in about the 60s and 70s. And you have to think about what was going on amongst academics in the US in the 60s and 70s. All I could think of was maybe drugs and a little Absolutely. bit of experimentation. So they, were, and... they were heavily into LSD. Yeah. Heavily into LSD. <laughs> so you've got these guys designing the internet that are spaced out. The other side of it is that you've got guys that are fundamentally opposed to militarism. So a huge number of these yeah. people are fighting against the Vietnam War, which is mm. raging at that time. So here we've got the US government funding a defence project being run by a bunch of people who are... A bunch of academic hippies on <laughs> LSD. <laughs> Absolutely. <Yeah>. Against <laughs> what they're being funded to do. Nice. And they were left alone Completely. <laughs> there was Perfect. no control. Now, one of the one of the interesting things is they created a directory of people that all operated in this organization called White Pages. So, you know, going back to some of the, the telephone analogies, White Pages, Yellow Pages. Oh, yeah. Yellow Pages were things, White Pages were people. Love a bit of Yellow Pages. They were always good for just sort of wedging doors open or <laughs> <laughs> smacking people on the head with. They were real big. Oh, thick, I'm thick young. books. <laughs> <laughs> Don't remember that. No, I, I never. I didn't. <laughs> so, so one of the things that that happened from there is that you end up with these military people working alongside of of hippie academics. Um, so they decided not to put anyone's title in these in this phone directory mm. because they were worried that if you saw that you were reporting to Brigadier Major So and So, mm. they'd immediately you'd start kicking off about <laughs> well, I'm not I'm not designing that. Yeah. So the internet goes back, and the internet doesn't actually exist. The internet is a collection of networks. There is no one thing called the internet. Mm. Um, but this goes back to about 1969 when the first connections were made between um, a research university in California, UCLA, um, Silicon Research International, um, and uh, MIT on the, on the East Coast. And that's the first time that, that connections were made across, uh, across the country, across the U.S., so really, that's where the start of it happens. And there's this guy called Joseph Licklider. Great name. Um, Licklider. Oh, Licklider. We'll we just let it go. We'll, we'll, we'll move on. <laughs> okay. We're, we'll carry I'm on. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> so he wrote a book about intergalactic networking in 1962. Oh, that is just that people is just... on a space station having a networking event. Absolutely, it's just the title of a of a book that he was going to write, wasn't it? <laughs> he wrote this paper, and it talks about a desk being the kind of thing that has a screen, a keyboard, and a connection to some kind of he called it an umbilical cord that connected oh. to the world through a socket in the, on the wall. Oh no! Oh <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And oh. he had this idea of a, a library of the future, an intergalactic library of the future, where you could access all the world's information simply from sitting at your desk, which was somehow connected to everything else, mm. to this, this global network. So this is 1962. And, mm. you know, what are we doing? What are you doing when you look at Wikipedia? You're looking at a library mm. that exists. You are looking at all that information. So it's, it's fascinating. But what happened from there was the US government carried on funding this. And they carried on funding this through the military, through the Department of Defense, till 1992. But it was never run by a company. There is no company that runs the internet. This was a bunch, and still is, a bunch of academic departments that run pieces in the internet. Companies were allowed to come in in about the mid 80s to offer service that wasn't academic and wasn't research-based. So. It's never really been organised. It, it's just sort of grown from these these very um, formative areas of, of research. So when people talk about the internet, it, th there is no one thing that you can put your hands around. Say, like, here is you know, there's there's no Jen's box. There's no <laughs> box with the internet on it. It's a series of networks that are all linked together, and an awful lot of these are still linked together through academic mm. institutions and through third parties. And so. All of that was existed before what people would consider as the beginning of of the World Wide Web with Berners Lee and Absolutely. Um, CERN. 
But yep. essentially, they kind of, do they just like connect all of those umbilical cords? <laughs> <laughs> so you've got to remember that the original use for the internet was no one had heard of email. The email wasn't even exi- it wasn't even invented until 1972. So this is this is one of the big problems that we have with the internet. You know, we're talking about five G and six G and saying, well, what is it going to be used for? Stalking is- my exes on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do that, by the way, if any of them are listening. Hello. Never never do. <laughs> the answer is we probably don't know because those things haven't been invented yet. Mm. So if you'd have gone back to 1958 and said, do you know what? I need to build a network to do email. Email didn't exist until 1972. So it's the fact that the network came along that made people think about what can we do with it. Um, so email came along in 1960. 72. So that's, I find that really interesting because 72, so that's two years before I was born. <laughs> 99. <laughs> but email didn't come into my life. I remember when until, YouTube came into my life. <laughs> until a lot, lot later. Um, yep. So where was it existing in 1972? Was that still within these academic and military? Absolutely. Yeah, so in fact, until about 1982, 83, the internet was totally closed to... Actually, that's not strictly true. We'll talk about that in a minute. Oh. was mostly closed. Um, so it was mostly closed and mostly used by the military. It was mostly in the US, mostly in, in academic circles, except if you go back to 1985... So one of one things that the the Internet Architecture Board... So yeah, it was set up in 1980. This is the board that governs... The, the 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 internet design and architecture of the internet um until 1992 that was part funded by the US government um in 19 it was set up in 1980 um and the idea was to try and coordinate all these research activities that were happening they also produced a diagram of the internet every year um to show what was connected where I'm imagining like the London Underground. Oh, yeah, that kind absolutely. of diagram. Yeah. It's exactly that. So you find all these little spots on. And being being a US diagram, US tend to uh, refer to cities by the three-letter code that's associated with the airport. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So UCLA was known as LAX, for example, San yeah. Francisco SFO. And you see the diagrams and they're little spots on the diagrams with lines between them. Um, no one bothered to put on the diagram that under covers the internet people had connected hmm. the University College London and a connection to um, an academic research network called Norginet in uh, Norway in 1985. So if you go back to all these diagrams, they didn't exist. And, and what was happening was the academics were hiding the existence of these really, really expensive and politically sensitive connections nice. from their military masters. Nice. I'm not saying I, like I support it. them, but Drink. I support them. <laughs> <laughs> so to a certain extent, the, the internet grew despite mm. what the US government wants to do because mm. they had this incredibly um, hands-off mm. way of dealing with it. Now, the, the body that regulates communications in America, and remember until about 1990, the, the, the internet is primarily American, um, the body that regulates uh, communications in America is the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission. And there was an interview with them a few years ago. I said, well, you know, guys, you were in control of communications. Why didn't you do something about this and make sure that you had these people under control? Um, and the answer was, it was just going so fast. No one was mm-hmm. reporting any, anything mm-hmm. to us. We couldn't control it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's always been this issue of the governments, on the one hand, Passing the money out. And I mean, the money that's gone into the internet from the US government is vast. Mm. So they're handing it out. And you would have thought that there'd been a level of control. But all of that was just far, far too difficult for them to do. So they just let this thing grow. There must have also been something. It's quite easy to give the money and then go, well, it wasn't our fault. We didn't know what they were doing with the money. No. In the same way as when you give me money, you don't know what I'm doing with that money. (laughs) 
but I don't want to know. Exactly. So there must be that kind of thing going <laughs> on. Supporting as well. my if, raging if drug habit. If they were controlling, <laughs> if they were more controlling of it, then they'd have even more responsibility for what they were producing. Yeah. Whereas if they just gave the money and then just went, we were totally ignorant. We have no idea uh, what's going what's on. What's happening? No. It's all just too quick. They, they were too... buying LSD. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, this, this whole thing carries on throughout the life of the internet. So let's talk about the IETF which is the Internet Engineering Task Force. This is a group yes, of people the that Avengers. meet three... Yes, the Avengers. We, they meet three times a year in a big hotel, um, usually, you know, circulate around the world, and we discuss really, really deep parts of the internet, how it works, how it's going to connect, what we're going to do next. So you say deep parts of the internet. I don't think you're on about like how it works. I'm like, oh, I don't want to know what they're talking about there. <laughs> so one of the things that was left out of the internet deliberately um, at the start was any notion of security. Mm. So the kind of encryption that we've had to put back into the internet, no one ever thought that we would need security. So you go back to these days of the academics, mm. they all trust each other. They're mm. working with each other 24-7. They're, they're drinking the same stuff. Along. They're smoking the same stuff. <laughs> um, they don't care about security because for them, they implicitly trust mm. each other. They, mm. they were, so uh, the, the introduction of security into the internet has been a bit of a, um, a weird thing of saying, well, hold on a minute, you know, we're all good guys on this side. Mm. The idea that someone could be a bad actor coming into this group was never really in the first thoughts of the internet. Um, so it's, it's not really until 89 when Tim Berners-Lee invents um, the ability to code World Wide Web sessions. So HTML, hot metal, and um, the, the, the way that we use the web. That was when it really took off with the public because then that gives an easy front to all these deep technical bits. Anyway, so we meet once every three months. The final meeting is usually preceded by djembe drumming. And there is a group, yes. <laughs> Did not expect that. What, <laughs> Absolutely. So what kind of drumming? Djembe drumming. Have you seen African talking drums? They stand about <gasps> yeah. yay high. So you, you get, and there's a, an email usually goes out about a week before and people say, would you like to take part in the drumming? And the idea is to try and soothe the people before the meeting. <laughs> They were like, should we do a cream tea? Should we do an open bar? No, I've got exactly what people need. <laughs> yeah. So you get a meeting of about two and a half thousand people. And as you're coming into the meeting, there's djembe drumming going on at the front or African drums or something, so hand cool. drumming. And it's just designed to get back in that. So the the hippie start of the it's internet is still going still on. Exists. I love it. And um, did you pass hotel, a doobie at the same well, time? Well, I was going to say, are you and all having LSD at the conference? Because it's in the 60s. So you got to just, oh, you know, no. go with the flow. I've never heard mm. anyone call it a doobie. Only because I'm like existing in this weird film of 60s stuff. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. No. But then, then you get into some other really weird stuff. I'd be careful what I said there. Um, <laughs> such as voting. So um, there's a thing called the Tower of the Internet. It's gone Lord of the Rings all of a sudden. Yeah. It, it is, yeah. We reject kings, presidents and voting. We respect rough consensus and running code. Now, what that means is that the IETF, the internet, is not controlled, is not answerable to anyone. Yeah. Yeah. So when you go to the IETF, when you stand up and present at the IETF or you come out, you are going as yourself. Anyone can go. Absolutely anyone, no matter um, what So we could just rock up. Is. Absolutely. <sighs> Today, I'm going to give a presentation on why Girls Go Games was the most important thing that ever happened <laughs> on the internet. And I could. So the, the whole idea is based around this idea of, of American volunteerism, the, the, that anyone can take part in this community. Now, that then hits some problems when you get into um, the kind of recriminations that you see in, in some standards groups. And I'm a member of a couple of other international standards groups which don't operate in that way. You, we have block voting, we have company voting, we have country voting. The IETF was designed specifically to get away from that. So... It's not so common anymore, but certainly in the, in the early days of the IETF, we didn't vote by putting hands up. 
And the reason that you don't vote by putting hands up is because you can look around the room mm-hmm. and say, that guy over there disagrees with me. I'm going mm-hmm. to find mm-hmm. him later and put a horse's head in his bed. What I do. <laughs> um, so it, you don't do that in the, in the IETF. So how do you agree something? Well, we don't go on block voting. We don't go on majority voting. We go on rough consensus. So if the chair of the meeting feels that enough people agree... <laughs> That's it. Oh that's what I do God. with dinner. I feel that everyone would like this meal. So yeah, but normally it. that's a fairly Absolutely. easy one because you're well, only actually, balancing that's like that's five people. Whereas I I, that that's like that's a lot of people to get a feel for. Do you reckon they're also like but, balancing but, crystals and being like, which one feels the most well, charged? It's, it's strange you should say that because if you put your hand up to vote and I can see immediately that you voted. So they invented a way of voting that doesn't identify people. And that method of voting that doesn't identify people is called humming. So what happens when a question comes to the consensus? You remember, here we are, we're in a room with two and a half thousand people. <laughs> You're asked for an answer. And the answer is, could you hum for that? People hum. Try, try and see if you can work out how hard someone is humming as to whether they agree with something. But so do we have you just hum like a hmm? Or do you well, do a song? how much you agree with it. Well, if know? I really mm-hmm. agreed, I might mm-hmm. want to do a bit of Taylor Swift. I might want to, like, hum one of her songs. <laughs> what Taylor Swift song was that? I don't know. It was just, like, excited. I agree with that humming. <laughs> so, so the internet is a decidedly weird place. It's um, bizarre. I want to go to one of these meetings I now. I do, just, just to, to see the, the voting and the drumming. Yeah. But the the strange thing is that it's, on the one hand, it is very open, community-based, individualistic. On the other hand, it's getting stacks of money from the US government in terms of defence spending. You know, if you you went to an IETF meeting today and said, you do realise that you're actually being funded or were being funded by the US military, and you've got loads of people from all around the world in there, they'd probably have 40 fits. But that is the truth. So we've got this, this balancing act between the very, very commercial side that is the internet today yeah. and the fact that it is run completely by volunteers. They're, they're um, in the IAB, the Internet Architecture Board, which controls the, the, um, the organisation of these meetings, there's about 100 full-time staff and that's for the entire world. Everybody oh, else that comes to... Uh, everyone else that comes and gets involved in designing and operating the internet does it of their own volition. They do it on their own time as a volunteer. Now, obviously, companies want you to go along. But there's another side to the to the IETF meetings, which means that if I stand up and say, hi, David Lake Dell, I would be immediately shouted down <gasps> because you're not there to represent your country. Mm. We reject kings, presidents mm-hmm. and voting. You're not there to, reject, to represent your company. You're not there to represent your country. You are there to give your thoughts as a technical expert. Mm. And that's all that counts. And you do get into these massive arguments. So the way that we do it is we have microphones at the top, people come round, and you have these circular arguments um, going on between people um, all the time. It is a pretty combative environment, but everybody goes there as an equal. And then on the other side of the, the internet, you have all this money coming in through venture capital in the West mm. Coast of the US. You have the Amazons of the world. You have the Googles of the world. It's a really interesting balance between free, open and highly competitive. Yeah. So, okay, can I just, I can ask, oh gosh, how do we actually define the internet? What is the internet? Oh, don't go there. Well, so for that, you go back to this idea of, of telephone connections. So if I wanted to speak to you in 1955, I would phone you and we'd have a connection between you and me. Mm. That would be our connection that lasts for as long as we want it to last. No one else can use that. Can't be shared at all. So the the reason the internet came along was to say, well, hold on a minute. This is crazy. I don't just want to do one connection. I want to connect to all these things. Mm. Um, And the idea is of time sharing. So you've still got a single connection Um, into the network but you're able to connect to different places at different times and the technology that made that happen really goes back to two guys Um, a guy called Paul Barron 
um, and a guy called Donald Davis. And they came up with this idea of packets, packet switching. So instead of my connection being constant, what you do is you break the information up into very, very small packets and mm -hmm. you send one at a time. Then when it gets to the other end, you stitch them back together again. So our communication here is not constant. You and I talking, it's being broken into chunks. Mm. Each chunk is about 30 milliseconds long, sent across, and then at your end, you're stitching it back together mm. again. Mm. And that's a, that's a sharing kind of environment. And, and that's very, very different from how the telephone network operated. And you can think of it a bit like a railway system. So, you know, we're putting people mm. into trains, we're sending them to mm. one location, then we're sending them to another location. The, the difference between the internet and the phone system is that the, the phone system was actually a connection all the time. It was, a, it was a solid connection between two people. And you could tell how many people were allowed to use it. Um, you had control over that. The internet has a lot less control. So you pull a lot, you pull a lot of the control out, but what you do is you open the possibilities mm. of who can connect to what. And by taking that element of control away, that's how all these new applications um, have, have generated. So, you know, coming back to your question, what is 5G and 6G going to look like? Well, we don't know. We don't know what people are going to develop that. Mm. Who who did we know that Peter Thiel and our and uh, Elon Musk were going to invent PayPal when we were building the internet. No, we didn't. We had no idea about that. But because they had the platform to do that, that gave them the freedom to do that. They could have done that on the phone network hmm. back in the 50s, but there was something about the constraints of that technology. So the, the internet is really a collection of interconnected networks. In fact, that's what it means. It means internet. It's a network of networks. Mm -hmm. So each of your service providers will run their own network that's connected to other ones uh, around the world. And by connecting through, you are able to, to provide communication between two points. And so then you've got this um, <laughs> processing and processing. You've got all these volunteers who are basically keeping that network alive. I still see them as for... tiny minions. Well, I'm thinking about all these people that work for nothing on the internet, whilst then you've got all the Zuckerbergs and all the rest of it getting rich as bollocks. Um, I didn't know how to finish that sentence. Rich as bollocks is a rich fair way to put it. Yeah, it's fair. Off the back of people who are just there going, this is so cool, we're like creating this network. There's an idea, and this, this is another US West Coast idea of, of techno-libertarianism. Um, techno so it's this idea that we can solve any problem with technology. Mm. Um, and, you know, we, we've just seen Musk and, and Bezos go off to, to space and, and Ugh. come back. Ugh, it, that, do not get me started. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that is the idea that by using the same kind of method of developing science that led to the internet you know take the brakes off don't don't control it allow them to do whatever we, want. we can do anything and there is this this idea and this again comes back to this guy called timothy leary who in 1970s uh, 1974 wrote um, a book called terror 2 um where he's talking about humans having the ability through science um to live forever and to live on other planets. And mm. it, it's, not, it, it's not a massive step to move away from what Timothy Leary, who was completely out of his head on LSD, um, <laughs> was writing. Um, and See, my brain immediately he... went to Russ T. Davis writing years and years and <laughs> yeah, having yeah. that girl uploaded at the end into spoilers. And I was like, yeah, I mean, that sounds like it that could be a thing. But now I'm like, was Russell T. on LSD? <laughs> I'm sure he wasn't. Could have been, but it, you know. So it, it isn't. It isn't a massive step to say, okay, well, what they're doing is no different from what they did with the internet. You know, the money is coming in from the government because NASA is funding a lot of the SpaceX development for their own needs. There's probably the same lack of control that we had in def in the formation of the internet. They're off thinking, what well, you know. Here's my goal. My goal is that through the advancement of science and through money coming in, we can invest in how to leave the planet, how to start mm. populating other planets, how to move away from the problems that we have on this planet. So so you need you need to read a book called Cyber Selfish then by uh, Paulina Borsok. Oh, I like um, that. Who Cyber talks Selfish. about this, yeah, it talks about this idea of techno, um, 
libertarianism. And it is. It, it's very much around this American dream of you can invest and, and the corporate interests will become anything, will solve all the problems. And that's the same kind of mantra that works around the internet. Because if you look at how the internet works today, you have huge numbers of, of, of large corporate companies mm. that are providing it. But in the backbone of the internet, the actual work to design how this all connects together is very much based on you know people like me being given time because my company's interested in having influence or mm. having some kind of, of control of that. Mm. There is no government control. There is no UN control of this. Now but you're essentially an internet spy. <laughs> you know, because that, you know, if you can't have control, then at least you can go in and see what's going on. Report back. This is why you're not employed, because that's crossing boundaries. <laughs> there's there's a group called the Electronic Freedom Foundation. Oh my god, it just sounds that. so marble. <laughs> I was thinking that was quite Star Wars, the Electronic oh, Freedom Foundation. See, I've been watching Loki and I'm thinking about time oh, agents. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And th there's another thing called net neutrality, which is enshrined in US law, which says that I've no one is allowed that. to look at that. Yeah. yeah. So the the whole idea, and this these are two things that are really, really strongly upheld by the IETF and people that are involved in the IETF. But on the other side, there are corporate interests that say, no, 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 or in fact, and governmental interests mm. that would really like to start looking at the data. However, within the ITF, within the IAB and the um, the EFF, the answer is no, we, we do not do that. So actually back to um, 1999, the, <laughs> the IETF stated that every connection across the internet should be encrypted. Mm -hmm. And that was a standard that, that we decided on and put in place. Um, but there have been various governments that have resisted that. Mm. So things are not black and white. Things are not government good, private bad, or private, you know, the, mm -hmm. there, there, is a, there is a real balancing act here between the two. Um, certainly from the, from the IETF point of view, our view is that every connection should be encrypted. No one should be able to see anything else that's happening. That, I'm afraid, is not mm. the case on the yeah. internet today. Mm -hmm. um, and probably never will be because there are various government actors that, that don't want that to happen. And you can't say that it's a particular government in one country. You know, there's there's no there's there's a mix of good and bad out there. Mm -hmm. um, it, it it's not black and white. But certainly, you know, this this idea still is that this is a resource that's available to everyone for everyone, um, and that's a good thing for humanity. So we do look in the ITF at things like reach into sub-Saharan Africa mm, for the internet mm -hmm. as well, um, human rights um, issues on the internet. Even though we're engineers, that is the kind of thing that, that we are concerned about. Mm. And of course, with the whole coronavirus and lockdown, et cetera, with the whole access to... Uh, <laughs> I like the giggle yep. that went on. Um, it, that must be a focus as well, is it, for increasing that access, so spreading that net wider? Yeah, no. Well, this is this is where you get into a really, really interesting public versus infrastructure versus private balance because, you know, the, the internet, from an ITF point of view, the internet's free and open for everyone to use. Um, then why I do you, I have to pay? When I look pay. at my bills every month, yeah. the internet is, is not free. No. I am paying. Something. It's expensive, and my Wi-Fi right. isn't even good in Bristol, and it's expensive. <laughs> and we've just got an internet connection is unstable. Oh, there you go, see? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Okay, so let's go back to the train analogy. So if I look at a train network, I have a, a set of tracks. I know the capacity of those tracks. I know how fast the trains go. I know where they need to stop. Let's forget that maybe our trains break down and... Mm -hmm raining and all the rest of it but in a leaf on the line world, leaf on the line a wrong kind of snow absolutely but if if in an, in an ideal world as an engineer i can build a mathematical model for that and say train goes from here to here across a track it's going to take x amount of time and it's going to carry this number of people that is a very well engineered network but Let's say that I want to go and visit someone that lives two miles from the side of the track. Mm. The cost associated with building that is outrageously mm. expensive. So 
that idea of the, the, the railway network is very much like the telephone network was before the internet. The better analogy for the uh, internet is the road network. Roads go just about everywhere. But I don't know who else is going to be on the roads at that time. So I don't know how long. I, I can have a rough guess at how long it's going to take based on the speed that I drive, the time of day. But I don't know for sure. I cannot plan. But I can get everywhere that I want to go. So the internet is a lot more like the road network that doesn't have a central control mm. than the railway network, which does have a central mm. control. And there's, there's pros and cons. So the, the con at the moment is... Yeah, what are we? We're in the middle of the afternoon. Um, there's lo- it's raining. It's it's a summer <laughs> Sunday. Um, there's loads of people are watching things online. Mm-hmm. So we're all competing for that same very very small resource. Mm-hmm. If it was the train network, then what would happen would be that you'd turn up at the station and you can't get on the train, mm. or you'd have to plan around, or it would be more expensive. But if it's the road network, you wouldn't know. You just set out anyway, and you'd hit the back of the queue, and you'd you'd go through the queue, and that's essentially the same as the internet. So what we can do is we can keep increasing the size of those links mm. in the centre of the network, mm. and yes, that that is happening. And one of the interesting things is is Moore's law. So Moore's law is about the number of of transistors that are in a, in a, um, a CPU, a, com- a computing unit that's in the heart of your computer. And that doubles every every 18 months. And that has happened all the way through. So if you look back to when I was small and playing around with electronics, I'd be building radios that had one or two transistors in. Um, I've just got myself a nice new um, computer here. It's got six billion transistors <laughs> in And... That sort of scale from you know across a few years really is is astonishing, and we've seen that same increase in the amount of capacity mm. that that's come into the internet. And there's no reason to believe that won't stop. Yeah. So I think what's going to happen certainly if you look at at five G. So five G is pot is is promising a connection speed of one gigabit per second. So you know the mm. average movie is what three gigabits. Mm-hmm. So in an ideal world, you download a movie to your your device over 5G in three to five seconds. Oh, that's bonkers. Do you remember, do you remember when you first came down here? Oh, my God. Right. As part of the internet generation, (laughs) I have been raised on the internet. It's, It's been my life. I used to come down here at the weekend and want to die because it was so we'd, slow. We'd have to pre-order our films. Yeah. Your dad would download it back in when, London. Yeah. Or, and then or bring it home. On DVDs back when Netflix was or love we film. In the post. Or yeah. back in the days. Yeah. And dad would download he it. He would in download London. it in London mm. on a Friday and bring the film home for the weekend. Yeah. Because in the middle <laughs> of the countryside. Yeah. And then my friends would be like, why didn't you watch my Snapchat? And I'd be like, I couldn't. It wouldn't <laughs> load. But actually, that was quite nice because you could get away from everything. Oh, yeah. It was a good excuse. But is Sorry, that... Because obviously I remember when 3G became a thing and 4G is the only different speed. Is that it? No. So so if you look at what we can do with, with 5G, um, there, there's other areas that, that Coronavirus. could come into play. Obviously. <laughs> um <laughs> One of the interesting things with 5G is this what's been called Internet of Things, IoT. And this is this idea that everything will become connected or networked. So your toaster can talk to Russia. You're you're fridge, yeah, absolutely. But why do I need that? It's it's a bit I would say that's a bit far fetched. If you look at the industrial (laughs) applications of this, um, if you think about a factory, for example, a factory that has large machines mm. in it building building things making things there is a need there look at um look at an amazon factory mm. the way that an amazon warehouse works everything is connected um there are very very few people in it it's mostly automatic mm. factories that are building things are the same and the idea is that this form of connectivity can really help us with it but we don't know in the same way in 1958 no one knew ah email is going to be a thing in 1972 we don't know by the time 5g becomes 
really out there, which I think is probably going to be 2028, 20, 2030. We don't know what other people are going mm. to design and, and do with this. And there's been talk of, of um, uh, you know, remote telemedicine, being able to um, analyse things remotely to, to people that, that may not have access to med- local medical services. Uh, one of the things I've been um, looking at, because the, the, the speed of the link is much, much quicker on 5G than it is on 4G, is making music together online. So we've been doing some experiments with um, point-to-point music making, um, accompanying, uh, and that's been really interesting too. It's not possible at all on today's internet technology. Mm. It is possible on 5G. 6G just takes that to another level. So 6G would be looking at 10 times the speed. You're looking at downloading four full-length movies in a second. That's just a bit crazy. And so just thinking about, you know, normal everyday applications of that, we Mm. do all of Gen Topic on Zoom because we've had to with coronavirus and lockdowns and all the rest of it. But also it means nobody has to drive... Um, yeah, yeah. So it here. much but, easier to drink that way. Totally. Yeah. But quite often we'll get a delay in that yes. conversation. So with yeah. that increase of speed, that would mean that the delay would go. The delay comes right down. So the delay is is, is really interesting because in speech, we're, we're talking quite happily here. Um, there is a delay. There's, there's something like a 150 to 200 milliseconds delay between us. We're not aware of it because I'm speaking, then you're speaking. And that's typical for, for normal speech. The other thing about speech is over 30% of speech is actually silence. You're not saying anything. There's, there's clear air in there. Let's say you're doing something like music. You need something like a one to two milliseconds difference between you because a one millisecond difference in terms of, of distance is one foot of distance. So, you know, I'm a bit of a singer. I'm standing next to somebody else and they're a foot away from me. That works. If I move them, and that's a one millisecond delay in in terms of sound. If I move them to the same distance that Zoom is giving us here, Mm. about 200 milliseconds, that's like having my singer 200 feet away from me. That's Mm. that's a very, very different... Very Um, coronavirus safe, uh, though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you probably put a plastic box over their head as well. So yes, what the the difference is really that it becomes more natural, Mm. it becomes more lifelike, and you can think of of environments such as schooling. Think of the Mm. the the issues that we've had with homeschooling in the last eighteen months, or teachers having to teach a room of of thirty people Mm. over Zoom, all with their Um, cameras off, sitting mm. in their bed in their Mm -hmm. pajamas. Absolutely, (laughs) (laughs) absolutely. So a lot of that goes away, and it just becomes a lot more natural there's also disadvantages to that because i quite like sometimes when it's like and now we're going to do this thing and i'm like i can't load it on my wi-fi <laughs> shame oh no so when they're like uh, yes you can you've got 6 i'll be like oh fuck's sake. yeah you won't be able to get away <laughs> no no yeah so i think initially we'll see 5g in city centers mm. um Although that may change, and that's that's another unknown with the the effect of coronavirus. You know, the, the presumption has always been that you know these big city centres mm. are the places where that will need the technology first. Mm. But what we're seeing is more and more people working from remote locations, not that remote actually, mostly suburban or just mm-hmm. outside into mm-hmm. into near rural areas. So, do we need to rethink how that technology gets deployed? Because people are going to be more dependent on 5G um, mm. as it gets out into those areas. So there's some, some interesting things that are going to happen from this. Mm. But again, what, what those are going to be? Don't know, because, you know, there's a free and open internet. So develop what you like. And that's the whole ethos behind the internet, that people bring things, demonstrate, and show the art of the possible. Brilliant. Oh, oh thank you so much, David. It's been You're really, welcome. really interesting. And I'm a little mind boggled, but I'll wrap my head around <laughs> it soon, I'm sure. Just just think about the humming. I mean, the humming yeah, is yeah. great. I, I have to say, the first ITF meeting I went to, I sort of walked in the back of the room and thought, what the hell is going on here? And it was a real shock of, there's there's a guy over there with three other guys that are using African drums and we're sitting here and humming. Did you think and you joined a cult? We... Because it sounds a bit culty. It, it is. It is very. Cu- I'm just trying to see if I have my latest. So every ITF. I meeting thought you were looking around for. I'm just going to get my cult <laughs> costume on. Here is what I well, wear to these meetings. 
So, yeah, strange you should say that because <laughs> every meeting does produce a T-shirt and the T-shirts are designed... They're, they're horrible. <laughs> they, they really are horrible. But they have a design on them. Um, and I have... I certainly have colleagues that collect the T-shirts. Oh, brilliant. Oh, wow. Brilliant. Um, but, yeah, so the, there is a bit of a culty feeling to it. But, it, again, it's about this this idea of But it's the creating something for everyone else. Yeah, Look what I took with the military money. It's for you. <laughs> Add a sprinkle of LSD. <laughs> there is this weird balance between this very liberal, open, free side and this absolutely dark, capitalist, money-driven side on top of it. It's... it's um, A weird, weird world. A weird, weird world indeed. Well, thank you for telling us about it. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank I hope that so helps much. explain what happens to bits and bytes when they leave your computer and the, yeah. where they go. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And um, enjoyed the slate. It's gone as well. <laughs> yeah, mine's mine's nearly gone. Mine mine went <laughs> really, went very quickly. Really Yours was gone halfway through. And um, this gin is staying close oh. to me and okay. is not going back to university with you. <laughs> okay. Yes. Okay. Just saying. Understood. It's lovely. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you so much. Glad you enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. So, what have we learned? Well, I learned that it was military funded, but also involved a bunch of hippies in university who were off their nut, which I quite like. I really like that. Yeah. I love the fact that it was, you know, all about rockets and space race uh -huh. and military uh -huh. but it the way they did it was then just we'll just give all these scientists loads of money but yeah. we don't understand a anything about doing. what they're doing no. so we'll just trust them to do yeah. the right thing and they created the internet and the internet is going but it's just there for everyone it's there for everyone and anyone can add bits to it and it's Kind of like a train, but also kind of like roads. And is a bit like creating a monster. <sighs> that now everyone's there going, oh, how do we control this thing yeah. that we've created and is growing? Mostly I've just learned I want to go to one of those meetings because they like batshit. So we've got batshit meetings yeah. with drumming and humming. And T-shirts. And T-shirts. And I love an ugly T-shirt, personally. I love an ugly, oversized T-shirt. Yeah, mm. there you go. You can go and collect. Yeah. But the, all of that is about this collaborative working of yeah. using money and ignoring where it comes from. I love that whole idea. Yeah. We'll take your money, but we'll but we, pretend yeah. you don't exist. Yeah. And using that money to create something for every everyone, but mm -hmm. that, of course, that doesn't just mean it's all going to be used for good. No. And yeah, I know I'm a bit brain melty because I hadn't really considered the fact that the internet had to be funded and started for something other than to be the internet. Like, I know it sounds dumb, but I always thought people were just like, oh, yeah, I suppose we could interconnect people in an easier way. Yeah. Yeah. And you forget, you get used to the technology you've got and what you use it for and all yeah. right. you forget actually that it has inner workings. Yeah. And how that works yeah. and how that's changing. I can't really be bothered to keep up with it all, well, personally. <laughs> okay. I quite like just knowing it's going on. I don't want yeah. to think about the fact it's doing all this stuff in the background because, for me, that's a bit too much brain melt. And now you're sounding like an old person because that was the whole sort of, you know, when we went from 3G to 4G yeah. and I'm like... You know, really, my phone works. Yeah. Why do I need to pay more money for another do, phone? But then I you do feel do. like an old person because I'm like, you know what? I know it was like back in the day and what it was then, but I forget about that. And then I'm like, well, why do I need anything better? It works as well as it does. But then it's because you get these things that you never knew you needed. I'm just content in life at the moment. That's the thing. And when they tell me I can do better, I'm like, do I need to? I know. But then when you get your fridge that then does your shopping for you. But I you know, like, you're like food shopping. But then if you've got it and it's doing it, you'd probably be there going, oh, yeah, I can't remember what it was like actually doing the shopping. Well, you would because there's not. too many of I us wouldn't. to feed. I, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, the internet. The internet is pretty fucking cool. It's a load I of wizards. I had to resist the whole way through from singing the Jeffrey Bezos song. 
Come on, Jeffrey, you can do it. Pave the way, put you back into it. Show us how. Show, no, tell us why. Show us how. Look at where you came from. Look at you now. Yeah, we need to end this before that song. Anyway, I'm on TikTok too much. You are on... Well, there you go. That was something created on the internet for your pleasure. Tell us why. Show us how. <laughs> Look where you came from. Look at you now. Time to leave. Time to leave. I hope you enjoyed that little episode. You got to the end, so hopefully you did. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> well done. If you'd like more content from us, then you can follow us on Instagram. You can. And you'll also find our chief gin taster, the gin monkey, with tasting notes of all the gins that we're tasting in the series. Go on to Instagram, so it's worth following. Yeah, yeah. Topic gin. Topic gin. Same on Twitter. Same on Twitter. Send us a little tweet. Yeah, we're on Facebook too. Topic gin, keeping it all nice and simple. And you can email us. You can, if you want, at hello at ginandtopic.com. If you click subscribe as well, that would be really handy. Reviews, tell people. you to do. And we'll be back next week. With another episode. I know. And another guest. And another gin. Yay. And don't forget to join me and Emma in our new tasting room on Sunday and she can tell us all about the gin.